Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Anita J., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from the Boston area. Today is Wednesday, December 13th, 2017, and this is the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. Today we're reading from the big book and we are on page two, which is Bill's story. That is starting with the second paragraph. By the time I had completed the course, and you'll read through three paragraphs ending host of fair weather friends, which we are not. That's my own comment. Today's readers are for the 12 steps, Alexis KH, 12 traditions, and C. And readers of the text this morning are Katie G, Hoodie R, and Waiting in the Wings is Lynn F. The share ID number for yesterday, Tuesday, December 12th, are for the 7 a.m. meeting, 10,787. And for the 10 a.m., 10,789. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We're self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book Study, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I'll now ask Alexis K.H. to read OA's 12 steps. Hi, this is Alexis K.H. in Michigan. These are the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, but our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made the decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, 
made a list of all persons we had harmed, and became willing to make amends to them all. 9. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Anita, and have a great day, everybody. Thanks so much, Alexis. And I'll now ask Ann C. to read always 12 traditions. Hi, good morning. This is Ann C. from Connecticut. Good morning, everyone. The 12 tradition, traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Number three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Number four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Number five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Number six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Number seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Number eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Number nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Number 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Number 11, Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Number 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And thank you today for letting me serve. Have a good one. Thanks so much, Ann. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. 
There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass and then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. So today we are reading from Bill's story. We're on page two, starting with the second paragraph, which is starts with, by the time I had completed the course, through three paragraphs ending, host of Fairweather Friends. And I'll now ask Katie G. to get us going. Good morning, Katie. Good morning. Good morning, Miss Anita. Good morning, my friends. It's Katie G. Recovered, Compulsive Overeater, Anorexic, and Bulimic in Boston. By the time I had completed the course, I knew the law was not for me. The inviting maelstrom of Wall Street had me in its grip. Business and financial leaders were my heroes. Out of this alloy of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that would one day turn its fight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. Living modestly, my wife and I saved $1,000. It went into certain securities, then cheap and rather unpopular. I rightly imagined that they would someday have a great rise. I failed to persuade my broker friends to send me out looking over factories and managements. But my wife and I decided to go anyway. I had developed a theory that most people lost money in stocks through ignorance of markets. I discovered many more reasons later on. We gave up our positions and off we roared on a motorcycle. The sidecar stuffed with tents, blankets, a change of clothes, and three huge volumes of financial reference service. Our friends thought a lunacy commission should be appointed. Perhaps they were right. I had some success at speculation, so we had a little money, but we once worked on a farm for a month to avoid drawing on our small capital. That was the last honest manual labor on my part for many a day. We covered the whole eastern United States in a year. At the end of it, my reports to Wall Street procured me a position there and the use of a large expense account. The exercise of an option brought in more money, leaving us with a profit of several thousand dollars for that year. For the next few years, fortune threw money and applause my way. I had arrived. My judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. The great boom of the late 20s was seething and swelling. Drinking was taking an important and exhilarating part of my life. There was loud talks in the jazz places uptown. Everyone spent in thousands and chattered in millions. Scoffers could scoff and be damned. I made a host of fair weather friends. And that's it. I'm starting my timer. So I'm going to allow our experts in history to tell more of the story because I know it, but they know it better. But where do I think like Bill, act like Bill, feel like Bill? Well, first of all, you know, this. Oh, there's, so many think, there's so many times that he's thinking, right? I rightly imagined that, the, um, that they would someday give a great rise. I had developed a theory. Like how many schemes and de designs did I develop early in my life that, okay, well, my theory of, okay, I can't go to grad school, but if I just get a job in management, then 
I'm going to make enough money and I'm going to be okay and um, I'm going to be successful because that is what I had arrived means to me. We've been talking so much about success. And today I know that my life is a success, but I have had an altered um, consciousness with what success means. Um, so before I did the step work, when I was active in my addiction, it was like I developed a theory that if I just stopped eating, you know, I, I would be okay because I would be thin and um, I would be good enough. And if I exercise seven days a week, I'm going to be okay. And then I made all these decisions. And I love, um, you know, how many times had I arrived? Um, you know, and I, I wasn't, I always was looking for easy way out. It's like I remember telling my first boss out of college, like, when are you going to promote me? You know, I just wanted, I wanted money. I wanted success. I wanted to be someone. And I am someone today, but I don't need external factors to convince me. Um, and I love drinking was taking an important um, part of my life. So eating was never like, for me, I know some people use it to get high. For me, it was more like starvation. Starvation and being thin and um, looking good was when I was high. And then it was like when I failed, because I continued to fail, you know, I turned to food to, to help me. Um, you know, and absolutely, I made a host of Fairweather friends. And why were they Fairweather? Because they were all participating in the same craziness that I was of, you know, um, you, like money and um, prestige and all this stuff was was all of our values and they weren't going to, you know, help me figure out spiritually what the right thing to do. And, you know, um, I'm recovered today from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, right? But I can still think my judgments and ideas, main problems in my mind, right? And thank God to all of you, I learn a day at a time to run my thoughts by you and God because I can still think I have arrived and I have this great idea to solve whatever it is is going on in my life. And thanks be to God, I'm recovered. And that means that I'm calling all of you. I'm calling God and I'm saying, who does KDG need to be today? And so I can't wait to hear all of you because there's so much here. And I'm going to just keep showing up with you one day at a time. And with that, I do pass. Thanks very much, Katie G. All right. Who else would like to comment? Matt S. Harlan G. Reva P. Nessa R. Okay, Nessa wait a minute, R. wait a minute. Wait, let's just make sure I get them. I have Matt. I have Harlan. I have Reva P. Nessa R. Who else? Nicole P. Barbara P. Nicole P. And Barbara E. Paula D. And Paula D. All right, let's let's go. This is a nice little bunch. All right. Matt, followed by Harlan. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Anita. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is not M. Compulsive either. Uh, I would one day forge the weapon that would turn all the flood of the boomerang and all the cubby to ribbons, you know. That's for me with stops me or food. I use food for everything in my life to keep to make these soothe me to make me feel better about myself and to use it to make me a better person in my own head. But it was sick, but my sick twits of thinking. And the food almost all the coming to ribbons. I got, got almost up to, up to 700 pounds. I was isolating in my room, not showering every day. So and then, uh, if you look, if you follow it down towards the end of the page, where he talks about I developed a theory that most people lost money in stocks through guarantee. There are some markets I discovered many more reasons later on. 
if he has solutions of grandeur, he wants to be how he wants to be famous, he wants to be successful. So he wants to do whatever it takes to get that. Um, I love how it talks about page, on page three. Uh, for the next few years, fortune through money and fame, my way, I had arrived. My judgment ideas are far, the meditative tree of paper millions. You know, ego has been building up with the, with the, um, with the, with the externals of money, status, and jobs. So his ego is starting to get a bigger and bigger boost here. And I, I, for me, I also had a, a host of fair weather friends as well. When the weather was good, everybody was there. So we'll have, have a time. Let's go party. Let's go out and eat. So when everything got, when things started to get bad, when I started to run out of money, everybody would disappear. Like, where, where's everybody? Oh yeah, they, they're not there anymore. So I totally understand with this, and I relate to that. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks very much, Matt. Good morning, Harlan. Good morning, Good morning. Anita. Good morning, Anita, and I want to thank you for your service, and I also want to thank Team Wednesday for your service to make this meeting possible. This is an amazing, amazing story here of our history and Bill's history, and when we look at this, we can, we can look at this uh, stuff and we can just sort of look past it. But Bill Wilson was on Wall Street at a time when everything was going up, 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 and he was not a stockbroker. He was a New York City stock speculator. And he made his living selling his opinions on where these stocks would go to people who were investing, and they would cut him in on the profits. And he saw, he was one of the first analysts on Wall Street that saw that what goes up must come down. And he went to people on Wall Street, and he said, we need more information on these companies. We're investing in companies that we know very little about. And when it says here that he saved $1,000, that can get past us because most of us would think, oh, $1,000, that's not a lot of money. You have to remember that at that time, you could buy a brand new Ford for $495. So he had enough there for two new cars. The average salary of Americans at that time in the early 20s was about $1,500 to $2,000 a year. And he is saving $1,000. And he says, we need more information. And they poo-pooed it. They threw cold water on it and said, oh, Wilson, shut up. Everybody's making money. And he goes out, and he was cunning, baffling, and powerful too. And he and Lois went out on the motorcycle and there's pictures of it online. You can see it. It's rather comical. He's driving and she's huddled up in the sidecar with blankets and everything. The reason she agreed to go was she wanted to do a geographical to get him to stop drinking. And she figured maybe if she gave him what he wanted, he'd stop drinking. Well, what did Bill do to get information when they would come to these companies? He would wait at the bar to see the guys coming in off the company lines so he could pump them for information, and he was getting drunk, and they were getting drunk, but he was getting some very valuable information. They worked on a farm, the Goldfoot Farm in Scotia, New York, and that was the farm that they worked on. And then it says here something very important. I don't have the time to go through the rest of it, but for the next few years, fortune through money and applause my way, I had arrived. And here's the kid from East Dorset, Vermont, the tall, lanky, skinny kid from a divorced family whose mother and father abandoned him, and he's living on Park Avenue, and he had arrived. My judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. 
I can't imagine what that would have done for my ego. My judgment and ideas were followed by many so that they would invest millions of dollars. This was in the 1920s. My God, the great boom of the late 20s was seething and swelling. Drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. And look at what it says here. Scoffers could scoff and be damned. I made a host of fair weather friends. Everybody wanted to be close to him. Everybody thought he was fantastic. And tomorrow, we're going to see where he goes <laughs> when his drinking tackles him from behind, blindsides him, and in just a couple of sentences, we're going to see the descent. And with that, I will pass. Thanks. Thanks very much, Harlan. <clears throat> uh, Reva followed by Nessa R. Good morning, Reva. Good morning, Anita. Hi, it's Reva P. Grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. I love these paragraphs because I relate so much. So the first paragraph we read, um, I have learned, has so many eyes. I think there's at least nine eyes in that paragraph. And that's such a great reminder for me that when I am running my life and I am running the show, um, I might reach this crescendo that Bill is reaching where things seem to be going fantastic, but I usually fall pretty hard um, afterwards. Um, So that's a great reminder. But the thing I love the most, I love the sentence, I had arrived because Before I came to this program, I believed wholeheartedly, and I can still get drawn into those old beliefs, that if I achieve an external accomplishment, I will get that ease and comfort and that effect, almost like the high I could get um, or the fix I can get from food. And there's nothing wrong with achievements. And there's nothing wrong with accomplishing. But I was doing it for the wrong reason. I was doing it so that I could feel okay. So that I could feel good enough. um, So that I could boost my low self-esteem. And I was trying to fill a God-shaped hole with external achievements. And every time I got there, every time I got to whatever the destination, the course, completion, graduation, whatever it was, the emptiness was still there. It didn't do it. And I needed more drug, more whatever, to try to keep filling the hole. And you know what? It could be the same in the 12-step program. I could think um, naively that once I get abstinent, I've arrived. I'm done. I could think that once I get through the steps, I've arrived. Oh, now I can relax. There is no resting on my laurels. And thank you, God, for the reminder in this book. I am constantly um, learning and growing, and that's how it's supposed to be. Um, I had it backwards. I thought you work, 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 and then maintain and just, you know, relax. But this um, spiritual program is about constant unfoldment and learning and growing and deepening my relationship with my higher power. And I am so grateful um, to be educated and um, to be following the people who are um, leading me on this path. And for that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thanks so much, Reva. 
Nessa R. followed by Nicole P. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Vision for You. This is Nessa R. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. You know, when I first read this story, I thought, like, I have no clue why I'm reading this. I mean, like, this guy and I have absolutely nothing in common. And now, so many years later, like, we have everything in common. I, like Bill, was an overachiever whose addiction got in the way. You know, I was a straight student in school. I graduated summa cum laude, uh, top honors from university. I was 20 years old when I was accepted to um, um, an MBA program in an Ivy League school in New York. I was 22 when I made it to a very juicy job, uh, also on Wall Street. I mean, talk about the similarities. And, you know, all throughout that time, my, my disease, probably that was the worst time of my disease. I was binging and purging. I was restricting and purging. In, in business school, I even thought, you know, maybe I'll take up smoking because that'll keep me off the food, except it didn't work out too well because I, I couldn't deal with the smoking. It was just like, I, I, I don't know, it just didn't work for me. Um, so I continue with the binging and purging and restricting and purging. And so when I made it to Wall Street, I had arrived. I was thin. I had uh, a beautiful job uh, that fed my ego, that fed my ego, sorry. Um, I had lots of money, shopped in the really expensive stores. Um, and, you know, that lasted for about a decade, maybe a little bit over a decade before I came crashed. Uh, crashing, just like Bill crashed, as we're going to read further on. You know, uh, my relationships at work were really, really poor. Uh, I couldn't get along with people. I was a bulldozer. I was actually described by uh, people as a steamroller. And needless to say, eventually I, I lost my job. And uh, that didn't even clue me into the fact that, it was, that I was doing something wrong. You know, I still continued on with my addiction. I mean, until the pain increased and increased and increased. And I realized now that I was defining success in the wrong way. For me, success means, meant, you know, thin body, lots of money, pretty clothes. Now, my success definition is beautiful relationships, being of service, uh, being able to get along with people, um, being in harmony with everything and everyone, you know, um, helping others and serving God. Uh, and this is what I do today, and this is what brings me happiness. And am I super thin? No, but I'm in a normal body. Do I have a lot of money? Absolutely not, but I am happy. And in those days when I had what I thought would make me happy, I, I just couldn't find it at all. Um, go figure. And um, with that, I pass. Thank you. We can't hear you. Are you there? Oh, I just said so much, too. I'm sorry. (laughs) Thanks so much, Nessa. Now, Nicole, followed by Barbara, and then Paula. So, good morning, Barbara. I mean, Nicole. (laughs) Good morning, everyone. (laughs) Oh, from from Georgia. Um, The first thing that always stands out to me, especially when I read this story, is the amount of times that Bill used the word applause and heroic. And for me, 
the heroic part of my life was I always looked up to women that seemed confident and it's like it just exuded through them. And I always strive to be that. It's like, oh, I want to be that person. And so I learned to put on the facade of being that person. For me, the applause used to come from, oh, I have a flat stomach, I can wear a bikini. Applause. I'm the life of the party. Applause. Oh, um, I'm a big girl, but I'm the prettiest big girl in this group. Applause. I even went to the point where, and I, I never forget admitting this, I had, you know, I have a variety of friends, different shapes, sizes, ethnicities, etc. But I would get a kick out of knowing that out of my girlfriends that were plus size, I wasn't the sloppy one. Oh, no, I'm not them. I'm not sloppy. So that somehow in my head made it okay that, okay, I can be big, but at least I'm not sloppy. And so I would rationalize the fact that in my mind I knew I had a very abnormal relationship with food. But, hey, I was the life of the party. I had the applause. Everyone loved me. No one could possibly know that I have a problem. And when I started this journey of the 12 steps and I finally stopped, you know, doing things my way because they never worked, even though in my mind I thought I could make it work because I gave it the good old girl try. Um, They told me, because I thought I was fooling them, they said, well, you know, you look so good and all this. And they would say, you know, you know, they told me I would walk with my head down. Now here I am thinking, life of the party, and I'm walking with my head down. And when I started working the steps and for the first time could walk down the street and have my head up, that was a big deal to me. Because it wasn't a facade. I didn't have to pretend. It was, I'm happy, genuinely, and I didn't have to lose weight to do it. I didn't have to be the life of the party to do it. I didn't have to date a guy to make me feel good about myself. Because my higher power was telling me, Nicole, you're enough. You don't need to do these things. And it it took that. It took 16 years of delusion, of me lying to myself, of me believing my own lies. To the point where if someone would tell me you have problems, I'm like, no, I don't. I really don't. And I really believed it. That was the scary part is I became such a habitual liar and the delusion became so real to me that I really started to believe in the lies I was making up. The part where it says drink was taking an important, exhilarating part in my life. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. If I didn't have it, I wasn't the nicest person. And I found a way to manipulate you to give me what I wanted because that's what I was, B-R-A-T, brat. If I wasn't... Reminder. Thank you. If I wasn't throwing a tantrum, I was making someone else wish I was throwing a tantrum so that I wouldn't be down their neck. When I stopped focusing on the physical recovery, a whole new world opened up. And in that, for today, I can say I'm capable, I'm beautiful, I'm lovable and feel it and mean it. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much. Uh, Barbara B., good morning. Good morning, everyone. It's Barbara E. in New Jersey. I do hope it's my time. Beautiful, sunny day. Oh, thank you. Well, this Bill's story, when I read it many times, I, too, could not identify in. What does the story of a man, a drunkard, in the 1930s have to do with me, Barbara E., a compulsive overeater? 
in the, well, it was the 1990s when I first read it. But I so identify in now. This is the story on pages one through eight of the progression of his disease. And my disease certainly progressed. The noose got tighter and tighter around my neck, my feet dangling from the floor. I was dying from my compulsive overeating. Nothing stopped me. Now, Bill, in my mind, brilliant, yes, he was also an entrepreneur. It may have been the geographical tour, his wife behind him on the motorcycle, but he was brilliant. He had a good idea, just like the Wright brothers had a good idea. And Columbus, however misguided, had a good idea. He too had one. And he was driven by the desire for money and success. What was I driven for? The desire to be normal, the desire to be liked, the desire to be popular, to be the desire to be smart. I was a fake. I wanted to convince you I was better than I was. But inside, I knew I was a failure because I kept going back to my one and only friend slash enemy, food. But it got worse and worse over time. I became that lone wolf. I became isolated. I lied to you to get out of everything. Family events, birthday parties, weddings, dates with friends, everything. I remember once getting ready to go to a dance, having the perfect dress. I was 15. I was thrilled. I dieted dieted myself down to a normal weight. And I was seduced by a a pecan nougat roll. I canceled going. I sat in my room. I ate the whole thing. And if you remember those rolls from Atlantic City, they were so rich. I can't believe I I did that. But what I wanted to share on was the fact that last night was the first night of Hanukkah. And the the symbols on the dreidel, Nun, Gimel, Hey, Shin, say a great miracle happened here. We here today are the great miracle that happened. Oh, thank you. This gift, Overeaters Anonymous, our study of the big book is the great miracle that happens here every single day. Thank you. I pass. Thanks so much, Barbara E. And Paula D. Good morning. Good morning, Anita. Good morning. Nice to hear your voice. And nice to be here more than nice. Need to be here? Not anymore. Want to be here. They're a transformation already. Paula D. currently in New Hampshire. You know, as we listen, and listen closely, you hear the different words, and sometimes they speak out. And sometimes I don't understand, what the heck is an alloy? An alloy is a mixture. That's what an alloy is. Now, you know they're mixtures of metals. Wait. It's a mixture here of drinking, speculation, speculation. What you see. What you see, 
not what anybody else sees. And that was what it was. Oh, mix some drink with that. Give me that illusion, that delusion. And continue on, and it goes. And he says, I commence to forge. Well, we've got another word. To forge. Look at the other meanings. To form or make, especially by concentrated effort. That's what it was. I am going to be a success. Honey, that's what I concentrated on. And I need food along the line, a drink, a drug, a bite, whatever you needed along the line. And that's what he took. But look at what it says. The weapon. Who would see it as a weapon? Speculation, not a weapon. Didn't see that coming. But as it was out there, it turned back. Who would know? Not I. That would one day turn in its light like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. And we go on and we, yes, so many eyes. And I did this and I did that. And you can put your own eyes there. I want you to get married. I want you to have a child. I want you to make this much money. Oh, you put your own eyes there. I did. But this part here, and I'm going to make sure I'm very, very careful on my timing for the next few years. Fortune threw money and applause my way. I had arrived. There was the ego at the peak. At the peak. Oh, yes, I'm here. But I couldn't stay there. But I want to go with everyone spent in thousands. And here it is. Chatted, chatted, talk in millions. Oh, Lottie, I could talk the talk. But here in this book, it tells you it's not the talk. It's the walk. Scoffers could scoff and be damned. I made a host of fair-weather friends, friends, like-minded. I was a fair-weather friend. Don't expect me to be there through the storm. And you couldn't be there for me through the storm. Fair-weather friends. Not anymore. Thank you for all that are on this line. And with that, I do pass. Thanks so much, Paula D. Um, before I open it up again, we are, for the latecomers, page two of Bill's story, second paragraph. By the time I had completed the course through three paragraphs, ending with host of fair weather friends. So who would like to continue this the Larry? discussion? Larry? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Lauren and... Wait a minute, you got to stop, guys. Wait, Lauren, Melissa C., uh, Lisa B., and then then came Kim G., Leah D., and then Rebecca C. Hold on now, guys. That might be enough for today. Who was that? I didn't get it. Okay. And anybody on speaker, please uh, take take yourself off. I just heard myself. <laughs> I don't want to hear me. All right. Larry, Melissa, Lisa B, Kim G, Leah D, and Rebecca C. All right. Good morning, Larry K. Good morning, Anita. This is Larry K. Recovered um, in Chicago. You know, I'm just going to touch. I'd rather hear Uncle Harlan teach about this, but I, I, I like to hear him, but I'm going to touch on it. The, uh, I'm going to focus on the boomerang. He talks about a boomerang. 
And Bill, um, when he was 10 years old, he'd been feeling depressed for about a year. And uh, his father had abandoned the family. His mother had left, uh, you know, to start medical school, her medical studies. And his school life wasn't going very well. And one day his grandfather showed him a book about Australia and told him that the book uh, said, one of the things it said was only the Aboriginal people could make and throw a boomerang. Remember, Bill's talking about, a, you know, that this, this boomerang that would, that would cut him to shreds. And this, this stimulated something in him when his grandfather gave him the book. And he wrote, you know, here was my chance, I thought. I will be the first man in America to make and throw a boomerang. And he was set on fire by that goal. And he made a boomerang at 10 years of age. And he spent about six months learning how to throw it. Uh, it. It was just a power drive that kept him on for six months. He was very determined. And he made that boomerang. And he said he, he swung it around the churchyard in front of the house. And it almost hit my grandfather in the head when it came back. See, later his conclusion was emotionally he had begun the fashioning of another sort of boomerang, one that almost killed him later on. And that's what we're reading this morning when he, when he uses that term. You know, and what's interesting is that the decision to try to master the boomerang, maybe it was an attempt to shore up his fluctuating self-esteem like you and I see but it's, the story is more than that. It's also a story about drive and ambition and about choosing a goal and pursuing it with dedication and grit and perseverance, right? This is what this guy had. But it was how interesting and how ironic that he uses the term that the boomerang that almost tore him to shreds in alcohol. Same with you and I, right, with the food. Pretty extraordinary. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks very much, Larry. Uh, Melissa C. and then Lisa B. Go ahead, Melissa. Hi. Good morning, Anita. Thank you for your service. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, you know, when I read this and I'm listening to um, my fellows share on it, I think, um, you know, on one hand, is it so bad to have drive for success? You know, it's like what I was raised on, you know, go and work really hard, Melissa, be successful, you know, this drive. And when I listen to everybody here, it's um, it's amazing how no matter what uh, industries or what avenues we, we pursued this, it, it that same desire to be successful, to have um, that, that feeling of arrived is within all of us. And, you know, in and of itself, I don't think, that's a bad thing. I think it's a God-given, you know, desire. It's that I pollute it. It's that I don't use this um, to help other people. You know, in the in the heart of my selfishness, um, at the height of my addiction, and and this was this was another addiction for me to um, to look to gain something from this arrival, you know, and for me, it was looking at other people and um, anticipating what they wanted and then doing anything to get it, you know, and so for me, the weapon, you know, that I forged um, was people-pleasing. I would do anything. I was like a chameleon. I would try to figure out what it is that you would want from me, and then I would go to any length to get it so that 
you could give me some praise so that you could tell me I was okay. And, you know, um, even abstinent, even recovered, I can fall into that trap again. I've, you know, in, in my job, um, I love being an educator. And yet I found myself on committees that I hated because I felt like um, it had some status. And I loved that attention, that status. And recently, um, I stepped down from a committee that had a really great title, but I realized I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. I was on this school leadership team, not because I wanted to lead anybody, you know, or help anybody, but because I liked the title. And that is a weapon that will hurt me, you know. And so we can have the drive for success um, when I use it to be of service. And when that's my focus, um, then I can use it for, for the benefit. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you very much, Melissa C. Uh, Lisa B. followed by Kim G. Good morning. This is Lisa B. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Thank you, Anita, for your service. The word um, maelstrom, I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, maelstrom really jumps out at me. And that means it's another word for vortex, a powerful whirlpool in the sea or a river. It also means situation or state of confused movement, disorder, chaos. And that really and truly describes me as an unrecovered person. And even as a recovered individual, I can fall into that confused state of disorder. And, you know, for me, um, one of anything is is going to be too many and a thousand is not enough. And that doesn't mean I can't pursue achievement and, and wealth and success. But just, you know, the way I'm wired as an addict and my true drug of no choice has always been the food. But anything that alters me, anything that gives me an effect, um, there's something in me that goes off, you know, and I can do that with any, like coffee, I can do that with anything that changes the way I feel. So I need to stay super, super grounded and close to this program, to this fellowship, and to these 12 steps. And, you know, in our big book, it says, um, further on, clear-cut directions are given showing how we recovered. That very simple statement with the word clear in there. Clear is the opposite of disorder. I need to stay so close to these steps. And I'm seeing more and more today as my recovery and being recovered continues to go on in time, how I really need these steps more today than I even did, you know, a year ago or months ago. And I'm so grateful for reading this big book with my sponsees because last night, you know, I was reminded of what happens to me when I am disturbed and when I don't address it with these steps and what happens when I live in resentment or fear or dishonesty and don't address it, that this illness continues to grow even though I'm in a recovered state and even though the food is down it continues to grow so that disorder that chaos is there you know and our big book also tells me that after all problems were of my own making bottles are only a symptom so or a symbol that's what we're seeing here in Bill's story and that's why I can identify in you know he's in he's in the symbols you know, and he's he's in achieving and wealth and not that those things are bad, but he's an addict and an alcoholic like me, that he doesn't know what balance and limitations is because it's giving him an effect. And that's why I need to get recovered and live in a recovered state with these states every day with the same desperation like a dying person. So with that, I pass. 
Thanks very much, Lisa B. Kim G., good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I love that line, I had arrived. You know, personally, I was um, 23 years old when I had on the chart of a diagnosis of morbid obesity, and uh, I had learned bulimia in college, and I decided to commit myself to that. I joined a gym. And I wound up dieting my way down, you know, um, to a, a normal body size, and they asked me to write a testimony, and I had a before and after picture hanging in that gym. I had arrived. But I have to tell you, eventually my binging outran my ability to purge, and I gained weight back, and I couldn't go back to that gym because I was too embarrassed. But that didn't just stop when I was in outside of OA. You know, inside of OA, I had, I had arrived moments. You know, we had a meeting that had a sponsor line, and I would get up there, and I would proudly say I had lost 100 pounds. You know, when they say find someone who who has what you want, only thing I had to offer was a food plan, which I worshipped. I worshipped the tools. I had arrived. You know, for me, this is the difference between recovering and recovered. Recovering meant that I was doing it myself. I had arrived. It was my will. You know, I used self-will and keeping on guard. I would do a 90 and 90 what do you do on day 91? You know, I'd make my phone calls, but what happened when someone couldn't pick up the phone? You know, I would say, use meetings and sponsors, but what happened when they picked up? It was all about me. Recovering meant me hustling for recovery. So what is recovered? Recovered meant I 100% put my food down. I worked these 12 steps, and I have an access to a power that has removed the obsession Recovered means it isn't of me. It is my higher power working through me that allows me on a daily basis to, to um, be contently recovered. And I want to end with something. I, I'm very lucky in the Philadelphia area. We have some great speakers that come in. And this gentleman who I really love came in. He said something which initially scared me. But then when he turned it around, I realized, oh, my God, this is so true. Because he said that his sobriety is not dependent on his sponsor. His sobriety isn't dependent on the big book. His sobriety isn't dependent on the 12 steps. And I got a little nervous hearing that. But then he said, my sobriety is only dependent on a connection with a higher power. But with a brain of an alcoholic, and I have the brain of an alcoholic, the only way he has access to that power is by working with a sponsor, using this big book, and working the steps. And that is my reality. Today I am recovered, not because I had arrived or I am doing anything. It's because I've totally submitted to this 12-step program and I have access to a power that keeps me recovered one day at a time. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much, Kim G. Now, Leah D. and Rebecca C., if you each take two and a half minutes, we'll make it. Okay, it's Leah D., two and a half minutes. Good morning, it's Leah D. <laughs> Recovered in Brooklyn. You tie me. I so, when, so when I read this story, in the 40 years I was in these rooms, I didn't know why I had to read this story. It never related to me, the whole thing. Like, you know, this, who, why, why is this guy here? Like, this is not me. I don't know why this is in the book, and I used to skip it every time. And today I look at it, and I understand Bill big time. Bill was a visionary. He was a man with a soul. He was a man that saw the big picture. He was a man that God brought into this earth to make 
change. I am Bill. But Bill didn't understand how to use this gift. The world didn't understand Bill's gift. So when people don't understand you, like no one understood me, there was only one choice. I had to take away the pain. And the only way I knew how to do that was to pick up, and it didn't matter what I picked up. It didn't have to be anything specific. My life was a boomerang. And when you do that for 63 years, even with supported dieting, even with everything, it's not real. I've just celebrated yesterday two years of recovery. Vision for you, line by line, big book recovery. And what I want to share is I've only scratched the surface. I got a brand new big book yesterday. I got another sponsor. We're going deeper. I'm getting a PhD. I'm putting my ego away. I'm going to learn to shut up. And I'm re-looking at my food. I'm re-looking at the real deal. And I'm taking one step deeper. Because God gave me a gift. And I'm going to share that with all of you. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to learning more about humility and modesty and what the real gift is and uncovering the layer that God gave. Thank you all for being here and letting me share the miracle of my recovery. Okay, I'm done. Thank you. Thanks so much, Leah D. Wonderful. And now, Rebecca C., it's your turn. Rebecca C., press star one. Are you there? Was that an illusion that I heard you? Until she gets in, I want to say, I once heard at a meeting, don't you know that I'm a legend in my own mind when people weren't listening to him? And you know that I laughed and laughed, but something jarred me because you know what? I really related. Well, it's 7.54. Let's just say I'm very grateful, you know, for the opportunity to do this because ego was what blocked me for decades, and I didn't even know it, even even with that legend reminder. Different things like that never, never did it for me until this format, just like Leah D said, something about it, something about it got me, and I am forever grateful. And I'm now going to thank everybody who has shared this morning And the uh, share code for this meeting is 10,794, 10,794. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And we're going to close, as we usually always do, with a reading uh, from the big book, A Vision for You, on page 164. Hoodie R, are you there? I am here, Anita. Do you hear me? Yes, thank you. 
Thank you so much for this meeting, for leading this meeting, and thank you, A Vision for You. Um, this is Hudiara, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.